Hey nurses, welcome to the Nurse Dot Podcast, giving nurses validation, resources, and hope one episode at a time. Today on Nurse Dot Podcast, millions of dollars a year. Does, does someone really need to make that much money if the people in their organization are not getting proper health care benefits or they're not getting a livable wage and there's safety concerns? Yeah. How much does an administrator need to make? Joining us today, Ben Porbeni. As an administrator at a hospital in Chicago, Illinois, Ben gives us a behind-the-scenes tour of how the system of healthcare works and answers many of the questions we constantly ask ourselves. I'm your host, Kara Lunsford, registered nurse and VP of Community at Nurse.com. So, Ben Porbani. Yes. <laughs> I am so excited to have you on this podcast today. One of the things that I want to point out to many of our listeners, and I'm sure you don't want to just be known as Evie's brother. However, you are Evie's brother. You are his oldest brother. And I would be remiss if I did not point that out right at the beginning and say, it really has been such an honor and a privilege to be working with you and Lifa and talking to you about all the great things that you are planning and doing to continue his legacy. And having you on here today is just an added bonus to this relationship that nurse.com has with you guys. And on our last call, I learned something about you that I did not know. And I was like, oh my gosh, please, 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 will you be on this podcast? Because you are going to be able to shed some light on some stuff that I am sure nurses do not know enough about. So I'm going to start with Ben. What do you do for a living? Well, self-care, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be a part of uh, your podcast. And uh, to go straight into your um, question, yes, for a living, I'm a healthcare administrator with the focus primarily on revenue cycle. So my current position now is um, the director of specialty revenue cycle for one of the hospitals in the Chicago area. Revenue cycle. First of all, I try not to glass over when I immediately hear money and, and revenue, I try really hard to stay engaged because there's this part of me that just wants to check out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's not that bad. <laughs> well, we're grateful for people like you because there's plenty of us, especially nurses, right? We just want to show up, provide the patient care. We don't want to really get into the, why can't I have this? Or why isn't there enough of that? We just want to show up and like do the work. You know, just to give you a little insight, revenue cycle isn't all finance. I guess the best way to describe it would be finance, accounting adjacent. We don't necessarily do all the number crunching uh, for the hospitals, but 
What we do focus on is the reimbursements from insurance companies and co-payments or self-pay from the patients, making sure that the claims are submitted correctly to the insurance companies and we get the right reimbursements for whichever care was provided to the patient at the hospital. So that's what revenue cycle entails. You're the guy that we say, show me the money to. Pretty like, <laughs> show me the money, Ben. Well, it already paints you in a better light. You are the person bringing the beans in. <laughs> so we work closely with the accountant team to make sure we're balancing the books, whatever's allocated to be reimbursed back to the hospital. If we're over budget in terms of maximizing revenue, which is always a good thing to collect more than we projected for a matter of allocating on the, the funds correctly and, you know, applying it back to the hospital. So I have a I have a lot of questions because I they're they're all like kind of flooding into my brain right now. And I'm like, oh, my God, which one do I want to ask first? I think the first question I want to ask you is, do you feel like the physicians, the nurses, the do you feel like they understand reimbursement and what goes into reimbursement? It depends. You know, you have some physicians that do own their own private practice. So from their perspective, they may have an idea of the reimbursement process compared to individuals that just work in the hospital. In most cases, it's our job to educate the providers, clinicians on what needs to be done. Perfect example of what we see all the time is incomplete documentation. Provider notes is a good example. So if, if the provider note isn't there or you have partial notes that doesn't support the diagnosis or the treatment provided to, to the patient, um, that could create a denial when that claim is submitted. When nurses do their documentation, I'm making an assumption here that doctors will go into notes and pull information that they then need to put into their physician document that then makes its way up to you. Yes. So nurses having really thorough, clear documentation of what was done, when it was done, and then that information being able to be seen and read by the ordering physician, and then the physician being able to put it into their note, which then makes its way to you because you end up submitting that in order to get reimbursement. Yes. And then when you make this claim and you submit it with the notes and the coding, are we getting reimbursed as a hospital for diagnosis, but also for procedures that were done, et cetera? Like, so for a variety of things. So for example, in one claim, how many codes could you see? It varies depending on the level of care provided. So each diagnosis pretty much has a code that's sent to the insurance companies. If an individual is an inpatient, typically there are a variety of reasons as to why a patient could be admitted as inpatient. So those claims would be bundled as one for every care that was provided during that time. Hey. 
Hey there, nurses and nursing students. We know your job isn't just a profession. It's a calling. Now, with Nurse.com, your nurse life is all in one place. Imagine a world where career opportunities are tailored to your skills, where you can find peer support in the Nurse.com app, the only networking site built specifically for nurses. Continuing education, events, peer support, and jobs? What more can you ask for? Ready to take the leap into a role that is truly yours? Check out nurse.com forward slash jobs today. I'm kind of looking at this whole process. I'm seeing it through the lens of a nurse. The thing that just stood out to me is that you said supplies. And, you know, I went back to a time where you know, we never scanned supplies at where I was. I mean, I've been a nurse for almost 16 years. And so there was definitely a time where we just kind of used as much gauze as we wanted to use. We grabbed as many syringes. We sent stuff home with patients when we knew that they didn't have stuff at home. We're like, here, take some diapers, <laughs> take some stuff. <laughs> I'm sure you're like, oh God, I can't, don't <laughs> tell me this. Uh, but, you know, I think because as caregivers, you know, we're just looking at the patients like, hey, this person is marginalized. They don't have access to things. We're just like, here's a little goodie bag to go because you don't, we know you don't have enough stuff at home to manage this massive wound that we're sending you home with. And there was a time when we were just able to do that. And I'm sure that it probably wasn't very good for the hospital. I'm sure we were just like hemorrhaging money and the caregivers were like, whatever, you know, we <laughs> feel good about it. <laughs> um, so now it goes back to, okay, now we're scanning things. We're checking it out of the supply room. We're saying, you know what, this person used this many supplies and you guys then take that and you actually bill the insurance company for it. Yes. Having that fine line of what needs to be billed and what doesn't. And that's where the coding department comes into play with appending the, the right codes or what can be billed and what's identified as a non-billable item. Also from the supplies perspective, um, part of it too is just simply because of the increasing cost and um, trying to run a healthcare facility. That's not always necessarily because uh, we're trying to get reimbursements from the insurance companies. Um, part of it now with hospitals having nurses uh, scan every single supply is simply just trying to manage uh, costs as well. Yeah. It <laughs> It's tough, right? Because I can see from the side of a business and, you know, say what you will about it, but healthcare is a business, right? Yeah. And it is. it's very hard when you're trying to run a business and you want that business to be profitable. Yes. There's always a big question and, and I'm going to say it only because... This is where sometimes there's like a bone of contention where they're like, yeah, how much does an administrator need to make? It's kind of that line, right? Where you kind of say, yeah. 
millions of dollars a year? Does, does someone really need to make that much money if the people in their organization are not getting proper healthcare benefits or they're not getting uh, a, a livable wage? And there's safety concerns where the nurses are like, I'm, I'm not practicing safely. And yet I'm told there's not enough money and then because of pay transparency and especially for nonprofits, you can see how much people are making. So I don't necessarily expect you to have an opinion on this, but how do you, what would you say to nurses? You know, did you and EB have these conversations? <laughs> we did, we, we did, you know, and you know, that's funny. We're having this conversation. I'm doing this podcast. This was actually a topic we wanted to discuss on this podcast before this passing. Um, but we did have conversations like this about him being a nurse, <laughs> me being a healthcare administrator. Uh, these were the type of conversations we had just at the dinner table or just FaceTime and or whatever the case may be, because Sometimes they'll call me just to bounce ideas off of me. And going back to to your question, in terms of my opinion on the salaries, uh, I don't know if I have a concrete opinion on that. You know, because um, healthcare, like you mentioned, is still uh, an industry. <laughs> you know, just like any other industry. And this is the typical structure you see with presidents and CEOs, CEOs making that type of money. But maybe due to most hospitals being not-for-profit, they may not be making as much as other CEOs or presidents in, a, in the private sector in a different industry. But I do understand the sentiment, you know, you're running a hospital, why should you be making that type of money? Especially if you're at a hospital where there's safety concerns and there are other issues. But I really can't speak to that. One thing I will say is most hospital leaders are engaged, uh, at least I can speak from my experiences with where I've worked at. When we have the engagement surveys going out, you know, it's not something that's just sent out just for the fun of it and just to get feedback, but we actually take action. We're trying to address the concerns that are being brought up. What I could say with that is, depending on the hospital, depending on the location, for the most part, the intentions of trying to close the gap and making sure we can have living wages, all of those are things that are being taken into consideration. I can speak for my hospital. We've done a lot of what I just mentioned. You know, there've been pay increases and different things have been done to address the concerns that you, you alluded to and addressing safety issues at our, at our, our facilities as well. I think those are all such valid and, and really great points that you made. And I think that until our healthcare system isn't really for profit, right? Like it, until that changes, and I don't know if I'll ever see it in my lifetime. I hope I do because I do kind of think of, I, I think of it more as like a public utility, right? It's like, this is something that as a human being, we should be taking care of each other and, and we should be providing a certain level of health care, actual health care, not sick care, but health care. Yes. 
without healthcare. We tend to be reactive with healthcare and in, in our country with the way it's set up. Like you said, it's for profit. So, you know, the industry makes money off of individuals being sick. So, um, uh, until that changes, that's uh, pretty much anything else is being done. It's just putting a bandaid on, on the bigger issue that really needs to be addressed. Coming up in our next segment. We can always work towards change. We can always try to make it better. We can advocate for a different type of health care. But this is the system we work within right now. Hello, nurses. I'm your nurse.com girl. Are you tired, burned out, listless, are you looking for peer support? The answers to all your problems are in this little website, nurse.com. Nurse.com contains community, allies, resources, and education. With nurse.com, you can browse your way to health. It's so easy, too. So why don't you join the millions of thriving nurses who have their nurse life all in one place and check out nurse.com today. That's nurse.com. I guess my hope is that to what you were saying is that if we could just at some point focus more on preventative medicine and healthcare, and then when somebody gets sick, that being the exception and not the rule, it would be really great for that to be the case. I know that that's not the case right now. So we, we kind of just have to operate within the system that we're in. We can hope and dream all day long, but... This is the system we work within right now. We can always work towards change. We can always try to make it better. We can advocate for a different type of health care. In the meantime, we have to make sure that the institution that we're working for is profitable, you know, or is generating revenue. So that when we go and ask for things, exactly. <laughs> we can say, hey, I did my part. I've done my charting. I've, I'm really good about scanning all my supplies. I'm not giving goodie bags away. When they're going to leadership and they're saying, look, what can I do differently? What can me and my team do differently? Because we need better benefits. We need like wellness here. We need a resiliency room. I need mental health support. We actually need to have a psychologist that comes and works here and, and that we can go see that person in the middle of our shift if we need to. And what can I do to help make that happen for this hospital? Now, I think each hospital would vary, but what you just indicated is the nurses advocating for themselves. Like I mentioned, with the hospital that I worked for and ones that I've worked for in the past, we had the engagement surveys. So taking the time to actually fill out that survey and provide feedback and not just looking at it as some exercise that wouldn't bear any fruit. Just communicating with the leadership at the hospitals um, what nurses would like to see. Those are perfect examples. And it's funny when you bring up about surveys, I kind of cringe a little bit. I'm always like, oh, God, the surveys, you know, it's you're like, who wrote these? 
<laughs> I think we oftentimes are like, I don't know who wrote this, but I don't think it was a nurse. Because <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, the, the questions aren't geared to, to his nursing. I do think that there's something to having nurses write those survey questions. I think it would be a great exercise if you compiled a questions that you received. You said, look, the next time you guys do a survey, they're all going to be written by you and your peers. I kind of wonder if you would get a different response. You could. Uh, it could trigger more engagements from the clinical team, from nurses. Um, just keeping in mind when the surveys are done, it's for the entirety of the hospital and not just for a particular group. Just from my experience uh, with my team, I always take it upon myself to implement change. And I know with my service lines, we've always done that as well. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but prior to working in the organization I'm working in now, uh, I worked at a VA hospital and we had service like this as well. And the leadership took the initiative and made changes at that particular hospital. We all saw the direct impact from that survey. That's really good to hear. Sometimes it's really hard to be vulnerable and put stuff out there. Sometimes you need to take advantage of those comment sections. And we get busy and we get tired of doing surveys, especially if we don't see a lot of change. So I think it is on us. It's also on the administration to be receptive to that. It's on them to take steps to be responsive. I know that we don't always get what we want. The answer is not always yes, but how we respond to people matters and giving them timelines for things or reasons why something can't happen right now. But what are some steps we could do to solve their problem? What are some solutions? Yesterday, I was talking to a CEO and a CNO for a hospital in the Midwest. And one of their recommendations was come with solutions as well. Yes. Be prepared to have that discussion and what you think the solutions should be and just have recommendations and uh, suggestions. Uh, that's really helpful. I think this has all been so, uh, so rich with information and resources. Welcome to a segment we call the Dot Spot, where you will hear more of your voice and a little less of mine. You can visit nurse.com forward slash podcast to share stories, feedback, and requests. As a valued listener, you will also receive discounts on nurse.com courses and CEUs by using code nurse.dot at the checkout. I've been incredibly inspired, and I know that so many in the nurse community have also been inspired by the work that E.B. Porbeni did during his all-too-short life. He was the founder and curator of the much-loved Nurse Life RN on Instagram, boasting 1.2 million followers, and also the host of an incredible podcast, 
with two seasons called Nurse Speak. Today, on The Dot Spot, we will be featuring a clip from Nurse Speak. Enjoy. What's up and welcome to the Nurse Speak Podcast. I am your host, EB, and I am here with Emily. Hey. And this week we are talking superstitions. If you've been a nurse for any amount of time, I'm sure you have heard tons of superstitions. And today we're going to be talking about some of the more popular ones. Emily. Yeah. What are some of the superstitions that you've heard? In the East Coast, I heard about tying the knot on the bed to keep the patient through your shift. We've all heard the full moon. Like, it's going to be a crazy shift if there's a full moon. What about you? We got the death comes in threes. Oh, yeah. I've also heard the one that if you, like, talk about a frequent flyer, if you say their name too much, you almost, like, summon them. Yeah, speaking of saying, don't say the Q word. Don't say the Q word. some really incredible recommendations to the listeners. I think a lot of what you have said today does provide validation because we're validating the fact that this is the system that we work in. Okay. It's not perfect, far from it, but it's where we are at the moment and the frustrations that they're experiencing. They're real. These are real frustrations, the short staffing, the lack of supplies, the lack of bladder scanners, being really clear about the things you need to be able to do your job effectively. I remember a time when I was at the hospital and it was kind of ridiculous. I look back on it and I'm like, I don't understand how this was the case. We had six cardiac monitors. Well, we had 17 rooms. And we would have to basically fight over the cardiac monitors. And I was on an oncology floor for pediatrics. And it was like, well, my, my kid is getting chemo. Well, so is mine. And well, my kid just had surgery. Well, so did mine. I was like, I, I went to my manager once and I was like, I don't really understand the math here. Six monitors, 17 beds. This math doesn't add up for me because this should be an every room thing. It's not like you, what if you said that about beds? What if you didn't give them a bed where you're like, well, in this room, you just have a room and a cot. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) right? That would be ridiculous. It's like, what are the what's the bare minimum, right? Like, what are the basics that we need to be able to do our job safely? And that does come down to equipment, supplies, and staff. Yes. Right? But yes, these are things that should be elevated and brought to the attention of the hospital leaders. There's absolutely no reason why you have 17 beds and just six... (laughs) That's exactly right. So it shouldn't be the norm, right? So we have to take a second. Why are there only three blood pressure carts? And I'm watching people roll them around from room to room. First of all, that's not sanitary. Second of all, 
just have a blood pressure machine in the room that's hooked up to a monitor. (laughs) Right? I found one in a bathroom once. I found a blood pressure machine (laughs) in the bathroom. I know that the CNA hid it here. Not that I blamed her, but it was like, why are we chasing this stuff down? I feel like one of the very, very first things hospitals could do is just let's break this stuff down. Do you guys all have the basics to do the job that you you need to do? I think some of it, too, is just having the hospital leaders, you know, whether it's the president or whomever, just really take a good look of what's happening at their respective hospitals, walk around, get familiar with people, you know, it helps with making better informed decisions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think definitely something that nurses can take away from this episode today is that this is something that is a responsibility that you have to take a look at where your frustrations lie and not just get used to living with it. Sometimes we get used to not taking breaks. We get used to running around and looking for equipment, even if it comes to like scanning into things or the processes that you have to do that are frustrating, that are needlessly frustrating. Because maybe when we can eliminate some of those things, people are going to be a little happier. They're going to be able to spend more time with their patients because they're not trying to track things down. And I guarantee you nurses are going to be happier when they feel like they have all the equipment they need and they can provide safe patient care. Yes. Being a nurse and being on the clinical side of things is already stressful as is. You have to care for patients. And so that alone is already stressful and having to add the additional stress of having to track down supplies and equipment is really not something that should be the norm for nurses. This has been better than I ever could have imagined this interview being. I feel like EB was with us during this, helping to guide this conversation. I'm like, like, tell me what what I should ask. We miss him. He was a bright light in the nursing community. And I love that you and your family and Lifa are carrying on his memory, his legacy, the things that he cared about, and that you're going to be doing some exciting stuff in the future. And it was just an honor and privilege to have you here on this podcast. And I think it was a wealth of knowledge for people. So with that, we will chat with you soon. I have no doubt. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and want more information about revenue cycle and coding, Relias has provided our listeners with a pretty cool resource, revenue cycle and coding education and training available at nurse.com forward slash podcast.